Welcome to the UDIA Queensland's Development Drum Podcast, where we speak to members and ask them to share some property industry insights and at the same time, get to know our industry colleagues a little better. My guest today is Beth Toon. With more than 20 years experience across a broad variety of sectors, Beth has an innovative and diverse approach indicative of her leadership and development work. Appointed as Chief Executive Officer for Place Design Group in 2019, Beth is leading Place Design Group into its next phase with a commitment to long-term growth and success. With other past successes co-founding a strategic marketing and public relations firm in 2009, Beth led a range of project-based services across the corporate, not-for-profit, property, hospitality, fashion and lifestyle sectors for renowned brands. This breadth of experience combined with her exceptional communication skills has enabled her to apply a fresh approach to the planning and design realm. A passionate advocate for diversity in the workplace, Beth equally places great importance on corporate social responsibility, exercising a long history of engagement with the not-for-profit sector, including involvement with a range of organisations. Beth combines her personal passion for supporting organisations and associations by engaging with the wider community and embracing corporate social responsibility virtues. Thanks for joining us on The Development Drum, Beth. Now, Beth, you've got a background in strategic marketing and public relations. How have you used those skills in your current role? Yes, I think communications and stakeholder engagement has been really critical to both my career and the current role. Having strong communication early and walking into a room with the right people around the table has been really important with some of those conversations. I think early in my career, I had a great mentor that really drilled into me, don't go into a room looking for the problems and and who's to blame. You need to be looking for the solutions and the outcomes. So I think human nature, we often go into difficult conversations on the defensive. And so it's really hard to get the outcomes that you need and to understand who else do you need to bring into that conversation to achieve where you want to go to. Yeah. So having that positive mindset is something that I've really tried to bring into all of my conversations as much as possible. Don't get it right all the time. But, <laughs> uh, but I think that solutions-based approach to communications early yeah. is something that has really put me in good stead. Yeah. And I imagine too some of those difficult conversations, particularly over the past couple of years, those skills and that basis has been incredibly important to have. It has. I mean, I think every conversation is different and depending on where you're going and and what the challenges are there, there can be really difficult positions where you're not sure where the outcomes are that you're looking for. And so having, again, the right people and starting early is important to try and move that forward. The last couple of years, particularly because you aren't always face-to-face, you're not always in the same room, I think makes it really difficult. Makes it really difficult, doesn't it? You you can't read people the same way that you would normally. No, the visual cues are so different in person as they are on screen. I think screen is still good and I'm I'm a big advocate for that rather than just the phone and email. But face-to-face in person makes a big difference, particularly the difficult conversations. And for us, we have teams across China and Southeast Asia and haven't been able to have Mm. that in the flesh face-to-face. And and that has been really hard, particularly when you add in translation and everything else to the equation. So everyone is getting very much more used Mm. to the video conferencing. So I think that has helped in terms of how you can move the dialogue along. But still very challenging. It's hard to believe that it wasn't a medium that we used up until a couple of years ago, at least in our business. Mm. And now it's a critical part of conversing with people, as you say, different times, but it's certainly a great tool to have. 
Yeah, COVID has made so many changes, you know, and I think that's been one of the really positive ones. COVID has been a a curse and a blessing in many ways. And so uh, it it has made things a lot easier. It's made, I think, projects in terms of how you can move them forward a lot easier because you can have the catch-ups more frequently and work through those workshops in a different format so that you're not having that stop-start approach, which is what happened really pre-COVID. Yes, yes. Uh, So that's been really positive, but uh, still makes it challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're still grappling with it, aren't we? That's I am. Right. Yeah. I still struggle. <laughs> now, you lead a large multidisciplinary team and have many different technical experts on board. How do you stay connected to that team? Yes. I mean, just as we were saying before, it is very diverse. Mm. I think being connected and talking with people every day has been really important for me. And it is great that we are now in an era where there's lots of communication channels. Text is a big one because I seem to be moving in and out of different conversations all the time. So everyone always knows they can text Text me. Text me. That's a good tip. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) Uh, No worries. But I think I always try to come to my team with a very much a culture of accessibility. And so from the very beginning of when we we started the pandemic, it was very much getting on the video conferencing and talking to all of our team members, regardless of what level or which team they're in and and letting them all know that they could absolutely access me and giving them permission to do so. Because I think there is sometimes a bit of a fear factor in doing that. And I don't have all the answers. I'm not a technical person. My background is not in planning or design, but I think I really work hard to connect people with those that can help them with the problems that they have to get those solutions. So consistent communication, accessibility, giving people permission to be able to contact you when they need something solved is where I really try and focus my efforts. It's the important bit. Mm. Now, we often talk about COVID being a difficult time, a challenging time, particularly for the industry going through all of those disruptions that happened. But I always think of you when I talk about COVID being a challenging time, because very few of the people that I talked to were also managing a business, which, as you say, had connections and business operations in China and Southeast Asia. Walk us through that. How was that, Beth? (laughs) Uh, it was fun. <laughs> Still is potentially <laughs> I say fun. that with a cringe. Yeah. <laughs> um, January 2020, the end of January, mm. I was in Shanghai and left just before everything shut. And I think, you know, that first 10 weeks was really difficult because obviously many of the leadership team were in Australia and we had team members in significant number of team members yeah. in China and Southeast Asia. So working through what was needed, how to solve problems when you couldn't get face-to-face and definitely when video conferencing wasn't yes. as, as accessible yes. as what it is now was hard. I think the benefit we found from that, though, is that the learnings that we took from what was happening in China, we knew what was potentially going to happen in Australia. You're ahead of the curve. We were. So we could kind of manoeuvre different actions to be able to get where we needed to be, knowing that things were going to change quite rapidly come March. And then... On the opposite, as Australia was going through a lot of challenges with how our projects were operating, yes. how government was working through different challenges around infrastructure and community needs, yeah. how that then could be applied back within Southeast Asia and China when they went through their second yes. wave. So lots of learnings from it. I think for us, it also really demonstrated the importance of that looking at the cycles, you know, yeah. cycles, whether you work across a variety of teams or regions. There is a similar cycle, but they're rarely happening at the same time, which, which can is just be really as well. great. It can yep. be really beneficial. And I think diversification across the business and needing to have that at a team level, project level, mm. regional level, 
really was reinforced to say you need to have that balance because some are going to be up and some are going to be down and you never know how that's necessarily going to play out. So having that diversification is really important. Yeah. I imagine too, Mm. even thinking about local projects, it Mm. was incredibly difficult to get around and meet with people. So that in and of itself would have been a huge challenge as we were sort of grappling with that at a business level as well. Absolutely. Again, I give credit to how everyone adapted and I talk about this quite frequently of late to say our window is closing because people adapted so beautifully during COVID really. Yes. And they were able to transition project meetings to online. They were able to look at how can we use different software programs and different tools to create the outcomes that we needed. And we're not necessarily using the same level of adaptability that we did then Then, now. Yes, we've lost some of that already. We have. So how do we continue that forward and how do we continue that evolution that we were able to achieve so dramatically during those three years? How do we then replicate that in the next three to six years? Is it about, Beth, too, trying to find the right balance at a project level? I imagine that face-to-face incredibly important sometimes, but for agility and flexibility to the online experience can, as you say, help move that project through quite quickly. How do you find that balance now in almost post-COVID world? I think team level skills are really important and having that at every level in terms of the level of communication, what the output is needed and and what are the actions and how do we move those forward really quickly. Um, So the speed of decision making is really important and that comes into play the skill level. And looking at our teams in their makeup and their structure differently, everyone is looking for flexibility. They're looking for a different mode of operation and yet our projects are speeding up the need of what our communities is becoming increasingly more so. So how do we ensure that we're creating a different team environment and different team structure to still be able to get that high level of output is really important. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine it's, we're still finding our feet a little bit, I think. Mm. We were swung to one end of the pendulum. We probably are in danger of swinging back to the other. So we would find that balance in the middle. Mm, Absolutely. Now, as a director of UDIA Queensland, I know firsthand your passion for fostering the next generation of professionals. In a highly competitive marketplace and rapidly evolving expectations, how do we nurture the next generation? Look, succession is really important to me and not who's going to take my job or who's going to take your job, although it's nice to sort of think about that occasionally. (laughs) I think it's more how do we ensure that we're bringing the new generation through to learn from our mistakes and listen to the conversations that we're having and gain experience so that they can take it into their own context and their own project outcomes. Yeah. And so looking for the small, small wins, it doesn't have to be big. I was in a committee meeting for one of the UDA committees and we were talking about how do we bring our young leaders through Mm. and we all talked about, well, let's invite one of our younger staff members to a committee meetings. It's the small acts that make big change. Yes. And I think we really need to embrace that. It, it's not a hard thing to do, but it's definitely something that you have to plan and you have to think about. Yeah. And we need to be doing it more frequently. Yeah. I think during the last three years in particular, it's really been obvious the different generations and how they've manoeuvred through mm. the different challenges that we've had yeah. and the different perspectives that they've really brought to the table and we need to be able to bring those forward as we continue to make decisions in the next three to 10 years. We have to be more adaptable, more flexible. We have to have more perspectives around the table and what better way to do that than to have a younger generation part of that conversation. Absolutely. They are the future, aren't they? Mm. Now, given all of those challenges that we've been through over the past couple of years, how do you recharge and relax? 
Hard thing to do. Very hard to switch off. I find particularly the last couple of years has been a frantic, frantic mode of operation. But so different I think, time zones too yeah, thrown in yeah, there yeah, as well. Time. Well, that's Be helpful. A, a big thing why we operate in Asia and China because of the time zone. Yeah. It, it makes a big difference rather than working with London or America. Yeah, so but not, not out of the remit totally. <laughs> but look, I think I've really worked on looking for the small delights, as I would call them. Yes. You know, having a good coffee when I'm watching the kids play sport on yep. the weekend or spending family time. It's it's taking those little moments. Yeah. Running is definitely a big thing for me. I'm, I, I should say plotting. I'm not a runner, <laughs> but I plot. Join the club, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to help with the list. And I'm not embarrassed to say that, you know, a good Netflix series yes. when it drops is definitely gives me all of the good feels. Yeah. What are you um, watching so, at the moment? Oh, I'm big into Yellowstone. Yes, okay. Um, You're going through that phase. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The fall. I, I think the strong female leaders tend yeah. to be at the top of my okay. list at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah, but anything that's got a good plot twist is good yeah. for me. Excellent. Yeah. Helps with the unwinding. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, thinking about the next decade and looking ahead, which is a, a fairly significant time horizon, what's your vision for place? Where do you want place to be in a decade? We're a multidisciplinary organisation, 23 years. Yeah, 23 years next year. So that's not going to change. I think if anything has taught us that for the next couple of years that collaboration and having a variety of different perspectives and service offerings around the table is really important in how our projects are going to evolve and how we can facilitate the outcomes that our communities really need. Yeah. So reinforcing that multidisciplinary approach is really big. For me personally, I've worked really hard over the last couple of years with the team and as we move forward into that sustainable succession approach yes. and really looking at succession through our daily actions and through our daily decision making. And again, not in terms of who's going to be taking over, but what level of leadership do we have at yeah. every level of yeah. our organisation to achieve the outcomes that we need for our communities and projects and then what will sustain the business in the future. Yes. So having that as a really core goal and mindset will really help us continue that vision of, of a leading planning and design organisation that has that multidisciplinary approach, the international experience, but with yes. the local understanding and engagement with community that is going to be there for the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine too the succession planning and the growing of the younger generation is incredibly important given what has been almost a war on talent mm. over the past 24 months or so. How do you grapple with that in terms of making place the company of choice for those young up-and-comers and how do you keep them there? I think flexibility is such a key part of what everyone talks about. And I'm not talking about work from home, no. but how do we look at our project team makeup differently? How do we look at our team structures differently? Yep. For us, we're seeing a huge amount of part-time requests coming through, particularly because the skill set that we're after traditionally has been coming off maternity leave or yes. paternity leave, or they're doing different things in the marketplace where they might be doing three days a week or yep. four days a week. So how do we bring that into a context where clients and project needs are five days a yes. week? Um, and how does that impact the rest of the team? So yep. Looking at a partnership model is really big for us so that we can embrace that yes. rather than shun away from it or, yeah. or think that it's all just too hard too because hard. it's not going to change. Yeah. Wellness and culture and diversity is yeah. a big part of our organisation as well and, and really trying to engage with the team at a personal level to understand where the challenges might be or yeah. where the struggles might be so yeah. that we can try and overcome them again just in the small things. Yes. I think it's always you don't have to 
think big. Yeah. You just have to think small and act small. You yes. know, you have to continue the actions. You have to do it. You have to do yeah. it. So it's just looking at things from what has happened in the last three years. They're probably going to continue on for the next 10 years. They're yes. not going to necessarily change. They're here to stay. Mm-hmm. And how do we adapt to that differently so that we can, you know, continue to be a really strong, sustainable organisation? I think more so than ever, people are really mindful of that work-life balance, mm. which again, probably tipped to the wrong side during COVID, where you would find yourself still working at all hours of the night. It's obviously incredibly important to you. How do you make sure that that's replicated in the team? Look, it's difficult because mm. I think I'm fortunate we have unbelievable teams and they want to get the best outcome yeah. so they'll continue to work. You almost have to say you've got to stop working yeah. and working from home is the myth of being unproductive has gone. Yes. People were overproductive. Yes. Uh, but again, it's that collaborative approach that is very important to our organisation. That is really tricky when you do have more of that flexible environment where you don't have everyone together yeah. um, at any one time. So. Again, I think it's just how do we embrace that and look at what are the factors that we need to consider and how do we partner those up so that we're getting the best outcomes moving forward. The work-life balance piece is something that we talk about all the time with the team. I don't think anyone is ever going to get it 100% right and it's going to have its swings and roundabouts. And I think that's what everyone has to just be open to is that you're going to have heavy weeks Mm -hmm. and you're going to have softer weeks and you need to be able to take that at a personal level. We talk a lot about flexible flexibility in our organisation. It can't be a one-size-fits-all black and white model. It has to be at an individual team level to suit everyone's personal needs and the project needs, which are all very different. It really has come down to a more of an individualised approach, Mm. hasn't it, rather Mm. than a, a company policy that's just implemented down from the top. I think company policies are really, they're the thing of the past. They, you know, they, they just don't work anywhere near the way that they used to when we had much more black and white, Monday to Friday, yeah. nine to five. And a lot of firms are still, I think, sitting in that, which is making it a little bit challenging. But it's the market is going to dictate yes. where we head from a resource perspective. And it's been very vocal over yeah. the last couple of years and it's continuing to be that way. So we need to look at how do we adapt rather than push it back the other way. Absolutely. And yeah. no mandatory run clubs for the place design <laughs> no. group. <laughs> no, there's uh, a few yoga, a few, okay. few yoga yep. sessions, which I haven't quite got to yet, which I'd like to. Um, and I think there are a few running clubs there too, but um, yep. no, I'm the plotter that goes behind. <laughs> sure, so. You don't need to reveal that too early, do you? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, Beth, it's been absolutely wonderful to have you with us today. And thank you all for all that you do, not only for the industry, but also for the IA Queensland. Pleasure. Thanks Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the UDIA Queensland's Development Drum podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. Remember to rate and review this show on your favourite podcast app. While you're there, please make sure you click subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Mm